It's good to be here again this evening around uh, the Lord's Word. This morning we thought a little bit about uh, men and the wise men. And it's the turn of the women tonight as we take a wee look at Mary. And let's read together from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And reading from verse 26. I think the reading is uh, Luke 1, 26 to 38. But I wonder if we could just read a little bit more than that. And uh, I'll let you know that as we come to it. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, that's the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angels went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. <clears throat> you have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Let's go down to verse 46 and read there Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. But has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. But has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. Remembering to be merciful. To Abraham and his descendants forever even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Trust the Lord to bless his word to all of our hearts as we read it again together this evening. So we shy away from a study of Mary so often because of the connotations, because of so many uh, views and uh, fiction. There is uh, abroad about the 
character and person of Mary. Is it well worth a study? She is the Blessed One. Interesting that uh, if you think about who do you think was the Blessed One, the one who was referred to as the Blessed Woman of the Old Testament? Just thinking about this today, if it came to your mind. You probably don't even think about it, but in the book of Judges, remember the lady Jael who took the tent peg and the mallet and drove it through Sisera's head and killed him, nailed him to the ground. You know, Scripture says she was the most blessed among women. But here we come into uh, the New Testament and the character and being of Mary. So let's just notice a few things about her tonight. She never wrote a book. And yet her, her name is mentioned by more people in the world today than any other lady who ever lived. We know that because about two billion people in the world, over a quarter of the world's population, and somehow refer to themselves as Christian in the widest possible sense. And all of them have a respect for Mary. And especially at this time of the year, reference will be, will be made to Mary. No other woman in the world is as well known as the Virgin Mary. She was never photographed. And yet she is the best known lady in the world today. Unlike celebrities or famous, neither based on the attractiveness of her personality or any achievements that she might have accomplished. She's called by some the Madonna. That simply means my lady in, in Latin. And if we were to give her a title tonight, we could call her something like Dio Donna or God's lady. The lady whom God used. Not Madonna, but Dio Donna. The attitude of her heart, the purpose of her life was to be the lady whom God could use for his own purposes. And that must be the crux of the reason why we have a look at her and study her character and, of course, our involvement in God's work this evening. Sometimes when we study Bible characters, they're incredibly interesting. But the purpose of studying some Bible characters is to look at them and consider what God did through them. God takes some of the most unlikely people and uses them. People who are handicapped, people who are weak. Most people would pass them by. God picks them up and uses them. And we challenge ourselves with studies of these characters. God can use them then. Maybe God can use me. That, however, is not the reason that we study the character of the Virgin Mary because she had a ministry, she had a work to do that no one else will ever be asked to do. Hers was a one-off commission. Hers was a unique role in the purposes of God. No other lady has been born or will ever be born who will fulfill the ministry that the Virgin Mary fulfilled in the purposes of God. Each of us needs to be available to God to you know, allow him to do his will through us to fulfill uh, his purposes. 
to allow God to do something of eternal significance through us. The world will calculate the significance of a person by the things that they accumulate, the billionaires of the world. Not so God. It would be pathetic to end life being a billionaire and be a pauper in the sight of God. Available to God, perhaps the most challenging aspect of our study of uh, Mary. She didn't set the agenda. She had no input into you know, what she would do in God's purpose. And in that way, you know, we are like her. We don't set the agenda. We don't choose what we will do for God. God sets the agenda. And then God works in us to prepare us to carry out the task that he has for us. Always God's prerogative. So let's look at Mary. First thing I want to consider is a, what we could call a previous portrait of Mary. We looked at a portrait of the wise men this morning, that time when they were away in the east in the darkness and all of that, but this is different. This is kind of having a glimpse at Mary you know, before she was born. What the scripture said about her before she, she came into being. I mean, before we get any thoughts of heresy or anything like that, you know, we're not saying that Mary had a previous life before she, she was born, before she came on, uh, on the scene. She didn't. Her son did. God the Son, Jesus, the baby in the manger, <coughs> the baby that Mary would bear. Is eternal. He's the eternal son with God the Father, the creation of the world. Not so, Mary. We only get one shot at life. <clears throat> but there are some pictures of Mary that uh, the scriptures give to us and even thousands of years before she was born. She is hinted at uh, in the scriptures. First picture may be faint, distant, but it is very real and certainly true. Right back in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, you know, in pristine conditions in Eden. Then their disobedience and their fall into sin. <clears throat> God said to the serpent through whom the temptation had come, he said, the seed or the offspring of the woman will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. It's just the woman, Genesis 3 and 15. God is saying, there will be a woman who will bear a seed, an offspring, a child. And that child will crush the devil's head. That child, John tells us in his first letter, will destroy the works of the devil. That child will be the good that will conquer the evil. Several thousand years make up the history of all of the Old Testament. Before that woman comes onto the stage, God's stage. But there's no doubt that she will come. God said, the seed of the woman. And Genesis doesn't give us her name, no details about her, anything else. Well, we know that the woman referred to there will, of course, be the Virgin Mary. The second picture is found 
perhaps in the person of Sarah, Abraham's wife. You know a little bit about them. <clears throat> uh, Sarah, of course, Abraham and Sarah are old, advanced in years. And uh, the Bible doesn't make any comparison between Mary and Sarah, but certainly does compare their sons, Isaac and Jesus, both born in miraculous and humanly impossible situations. Sarah's old and Abraham's old, no children. They desperately need a son because God had put himself on record that through them, through their offspring, every nation in the world would be blessed. Here they are, 90s and no child, no offspring, no seed. And God miraculously rejuvenated Abraham and Sarah. Give him a baby. Call him Isaac. Isaac, name, uh, Isaac simply means laughter. Sarah laughed at God. Now she's laughing with God. God fulfilled his promise. Give him the boy. Through him, every nation in the world would be blessed. Paul picks this up in Galatians, the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, and declares that. The Isaac that God used is to use to bless the world is Christ. Isaac is simply a picture or a type of Christ. And Sarah indicates to us something of the miraculous nature of Christ's birth. <clears throat> Second picture, Sarah and Abraham and Isaac. Then we have a third picture and it's in Isaiah's prophecy. It's so well known, we'll be quoted many times at this uh, Christmas season, <clears throat> 600 years before uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus. Yet Isaiah lets us into the secret of how Christ is to be born. It's never happened before in the history of the world. He said it's going to happen. The virgin will be with child. The virgin, the unmarried, the lady will be with child and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 7 and verse 14. The only woman in the world who will bear a child with no human father. And in that sense, Mary is unique. Incredibly unique. While the world in which we live in today has messed around with marriage to a terrible extent where Children are growing up in homes with two mothers or two fathers. And uh, what a terrible state of morality we find ourselves in. You know, God's sanctioned marriage is pure and holy. Right from the Garden of Eden, through all the history, and into the New Testament, and right through to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And any tampering with marriage is a serious thing in the sight of God. <clears throat> Mary is unique. Isaiah points out the virgin will be with child. The fourth picture relates more to the life experience of, uh, of Mary. <clears throat> and you know, since, since God made that great promise and the choice of Abraham, the seed of the woman, and especially 
not just the daughters of Abraham, but the daughters of Isaac. The Jewish, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. The Messiah is to come through the Jews. And, and among the Jews, the women, the Jews lived with the aspiration that perhaps one of them would one day bear the Messiah. I think that's why Hannah prayed with such desperation and with bitterness of soul. And she even bargained with God, give me a son and I'll give him back to you. And often in the Old Testament, the Jewish women were brutally treated, harshly treated, especially by Israel's enemies. Why? Because behind the scenes, the enemy, the devil knew that his head was going to be crushed through a baby that would be born to a Jewish lady. The devil we know is limited in the knowledge that he has. God told him, told the serpent, you know, yeah, the seed of the woman will crush your head. He doesn't know which woman it will be. And so he lashes out against the women of Israel. <clears throat> you just read the prophecy of Amos, the book of Amos. It's a wonderful prophecy, but there are uh, ferocious judgments in it. Amos chapter 1 and verse 13 reference is made to the, the wicked Ammonites. They are enemies of the people of God and they come against God's people. And they're recorded as the gruesome treatment of uh, the ladies, the women of Israel. Not just the women, but the pregnant women. Women who are to bear a child. And they're gruesomely treated and killed. And some would believe they're way behind that, you know, inspired by the powers of darkness. Somehow to prevent the Messiah from coming into the world. Of course, the devil wants to wipe Israel from the face of the earth. He's always done so because he knows he will be doomed through someone who would come by way of the Jews. Mary's son would become known as the man of sorrows. But Mary could be referred to as the woman of sorrows, this child that she bears, this Emmanuel, this God with us. Simeon would make the prophecy that a sword, a sword, Mary will pierce her own soul. There will come a day when Mary would stand at the cross and witness her own son, the only sinless one who ever lived, the Savior of the world, nailed to a cross and dying. So a few pictures of Mary <clears throat> from the past, looking forward, before she actually comes on the scene and bears the child we celebrate now at Christmas time. <clears throat> Secondly then, some facts about Mary. A few of these, just mention them briefly. <clears throat> One of the problems of looking at the, the life of Mary, you know, is to deal with the facts instead of the fiction that has grown up. There's a whole religion, masses of religious stuff that have grown up around the character and being of the Virgin Mary. 
They're not biblical. Of course, by that they're not truth. But let's stick to the scriptures and one or two things about Mary. Firstly, her name. She's called Mary. Obviously, her parents gave her the name Mary. Here she is, Luke 1 and verse 27. The virgin's name is Mary. She's not the woman anymore. And she's not the virgin of Isaiah anymore. That we don't know her name. Her name is Mary. What's the significance of that? We don't know if her parents realize the significance of that. But that name, you know, we love to think that Mary's name would mean loved of God or precious or something like that. But Mary basically means uh, bitterness or trouble or sorrow, even rebellion. Mary is given the name because there will be certainly difficulty and challenges in her life. Perhaps it's God's way of saying, Mary, you know, you're just like anybody else who's ever been born. You're a sinner. You'll commit sins and do things that are wrong and you need a Savior. Trouble, bitter, challenging, even rebellious. Mary. That's the fact against the fact is the myth of the immaculate conception of Mary. Some believe that Mary, you know, was born sinless. No scriptural foundation for that. Right, there's lots of scriptures to declare that Mary recognized her need as a sinner and for God to be her Savior. <clears throat> Secondly, our family tree. <clears throat> we look at the genealogies of both Matthew and Luke. And uh, neither of them are completely clear, but we would assume that Mary is uh, indirectly in the line of David and from the tribe of Judah. Of Judah. Joseph certainly was her husband-to-be. It wasn't her husband at the stage of Christmas when the child was born, but... Of course, they would, be, they would be married later on. <clears throat> Genesis 49, Jacob blessed Judah just before he would die and prophesy, you know, the scepter, the symbol of government, would never depart from Judah until he comes to whom it belongs. Genesis 49 and 10. Until Shiloh comes, or until he, until he to whom it belongs comes. That, of course, is the Savior, the Lord Jesus. And he's coming in. He's to be born in Israel and in the tribe of Judah. And he'll become known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Lots of great leaders throughout the Old Testament came from the tribe of Judah. King David himself and King Solomon. Or some of the judges, Othniel, the first judge uh, in Israel, Othniel's name means, you know, the Lion of God. Perhaps a, a little forerunner of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. <clears throat> Comes from the tribe of Judah. And then her birthplace. It's interesting that you know, her, she was born and grew up in the village of Nazareth. Luke 1 and 
26. And, and Nazareth is never mentioned in the Old Testament, never referred to. Nazareth is summed up by Nathaniel's statement, you know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth, of course, was a village in Galilee. Galilee was up in the northwest part of Israel. <clears throat> it was populated a, a lot by Gentiles, by people of different religions. You know, it was a long, long way from Jerusalem where the heart of the nation was, where the temple and the worship and all of that took place. It was a backwater infiltrated by all kinds of religions. You could say that Nazareth was a multi-faith society and despised by the Jews, especially the Orthodox Jews. Gives the indication that the Jewish family that Mary was born into was perhaps influenced by religious pluralism. She certainly grew up in the presence of other faiths. And, you know, emphasizing the ordinariness of Mary, growing up in Nazareth, humble village. <clears throat> then the next great fact to notice about Mary is that Mary is a believer, uh, comes to be a believer in the truest sense of the word. It wouldn't be necessary for Mary to be perfectly sinless in her life, you know, to be the one who would give humanity to the Son of God, but it would be a great comfort if Mary was godly, if Mary was a true believer, and if the boy Jesus had a mother who had a right relationship with God. Every New Testament reference to her implies that she believed in God as her Savior. My soul glorifies the Lord in Luke 1. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Would we say she knew she needed a Savior? And she believed and was saved. The same way as anybody else is saved. Abraham believed God. It was counted or credited to him as righteousness. Mary has believed God and she is saved by grace. She's a believer. <clears throat> In fact, perhaps one of the proofs of her salvation is that the Holy Spirit came to her. Now, we know in believers today that we cannot be a believer, we cannot be converted without the Holy Spirit. This is before Pentecost. This is before the outpouring of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit never comes to an unsaved person. The Old Testament picture right away back in Leviticus is that first, in the cleansing of the leper, for example, the, the blood is first applied to the thumb and the big toe and the, and the ear, symbolizing the cleansing of the blood of Christ. Then the oil is applied to the same parts of the body, symbolizing the oil, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes to reside in the heart that's cleansed. So it's very important that we understand that Mary, in spite of her background, in spite of that religious pluralism, the paganism that she may have been influenced by, has come to a living faith in God. God is my Savior. So Mary is godly. 
I mean, notice that she's engaged to be married to, to Joseph. <clears throat> and uh, Mary is incredibly ordinary. She's fallen in love with Joseph, and Joseph has fallen in love with her, and they made a contract that's much stronger than our engagement. That's where our engagement comes from. In fact, it's so strong, the promise, the covenant, our promises are given, and to break those promises will need uh, a separation or a, a divorce. And so it's just incredibly normal. We were looking just a week or two ago at the church in Ephesus. Paul was writing to Timothy and one of the things that the false teachers were coming in and saying, you know, the Christians, to be acceptable to God, really need to stop eating certain foods. And as well as that, the Christians, you know, the whole lot of them, needed to stop getting married. Prohibit marriage. You can see who's behind that. Because if they all stop marrying, then there'll be no church in a generation we're looking at a little bit of marriage, and marriage comes in the Garden of Eden. God gave it. These false teachers were saying, you know, if you marry, you can't be as holy as the unmarried. You can't be as pure if you're married. And that's nonsense. God initiated marriage. Married people can be and are as pure, as holy as the unmarried. Take it right through to the end of time and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so in that sense, Mary is incredibly normal. Then she is a virgin. Much is made of the Gospels, the Gospel records of the fact that as well as being married, <clears throat> as well as not being married, Mary did not have any intimate relationship with any man, with Joseph or anyone else. Mary, we understand, you know, understood she feared God in this aspect. She had high morals. In the world in which we live today, the opposite is taught and even exalted. <clears throat> the second most important fact about Mary, perhaps the most important fact, that she is a believer. She has come to trust in God as our Savior. And notice that she is she is a virgin. You know, to, to bear the Son of God, she must be a virgin there's no human father involved in the birth of the Lord Jesus there we have the doctrine of the virgin birth one of the foundations of the Christian faith <clears throat> if we don't have the virgin birth if we don't understand that Mary is a virgin at this stage then you know we take away from the glory of the person of Christ. We take that away. And we take away the ability of the Lord Jesus to die for the sins of the world as the Son of God. Virgin birth is important to teach us that salvation is from God, that Jesus is from God, that Jesus is God. The virgin birth unites. <clears throat> yeah, this is what we think about for Years unites the full deity and the full humanity. Jesus is not half human and half God or 60 and 40%. He is fully God and fully man. And makes possible, the virgin birth makes possible Christ's true humanity. 
without sin. Sin is passed on. Original sin through the male, through the man. Mary has no, or rather Jesus has no original sin. Mary has, but Jesus does not have. <clears throat> what do you think, simple? The, Mary had a, a, a heavenly visitor. Gabriel comes to her. Not unique in this, of course. There are others in Scripture. The wife of Manoah had a visit from an angel, a visitor from heaven. <clears throat> but what's important is the message that Gabriel brought to, to Mary. <clears throat> uh, we read uh, quite a bit of it here. Well, it's quite a bit of this, uh, this uh, passage that we read. Do not be afraid, Mary. <clears throat> the angel is saying, you are highly favored. God is with you. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. Called the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. The angel has come to Mary. Voice from eternity. And God has spoken. And Mary knows that the one who will be born is the Son of God. Then we see that Mary is expecting the baby. The Holy Spirit has come upon Mary, not to father the child as such, but to oversee the humbling of God the Son from eternity, from heaven's glory, from the expanse of God's creation. The transfer to the womb of the virgin. And that's what Paul talks about in Philippians. He humbled himself. Not that he's any more humble in the womb or as a baby boy when he is born, but the humility of Christ has been put into action, has been activated. God the Son has stepped down, has humbled himself, has put his humility into action <coughs> to be contained, restricted, straightened. The old authorized version talks about into the womb of the virgin. Our Christian faith stands or falls on our understanding, belief, acceptance of the virgin birth and what took place. God the Son, the eternal word has become flesh. The normal development of the baby is now taking place within Mary's body. <clears throat> Mary is going to become, or she is an ordinary mother of an extraordinary child. We call it the incarnation. The carny bit comes from the Latin, meaning flesh simply. It's the virgin giving flesh to the spirit. And it's God and humanity being linked in the virgin birth. Why the wise men <clears throat> knew to come and worship. They acknowledge the baby as God. <clears throat> and Mary gives birth over in Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 2. <clears throat> and lots of the Christmas story surrounds, surrounds the 
situation of the birth, the journey to Jerusalem, the stable, you know, the animals, the, man, the manger. <clears throat> Luke 2 and 7, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And there's no hint in the gospel records that uh, the birth was in any way different from any other birth. There's a myth. There's a myth that has grown up that in childbirth Mary suffered no pain. Not referred to in scripture. Not attested by the Bible. As a mere human daughter of Adam, Mary would have borne a child with great pain. In fact, Mary was in God's mind when God said in Genesis 3, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. And very possible that the circumstances, the terrible circumstances, the, the long journey away to register, to be taxed. <clears throat> and the primitive conditions and the rejection of the couple. Here's Joseph and Mary and they're engaged, they're not married and the lady's expecting a baby. The town is of course crowded and there's no room for them. <coughs> Perhaps deeper reason for the fact that there's no room for them is because they're unacceptable in their condition. And they're outcast and despised. Mary gives birth in a stable shed in the most primitive of conditions and Mary would have suffered in childbirth knows that Mary does become a good mother she loves the baby <coughs> cares for the baby protects the baby she and Joseph flee to Egypt <coughs> to protect the baby from, from Herod <coughs> drink of water here But Mary wasn't perfect. She wasn't even a perfect mother. We know practically nothing about the early years of Jesus' life. <clears throat> the only thing we know is a, is, is a failure. A failure by, by Mary and by Joseph. And they thought Jesus was in the company. Remember, at 12 years of age, they go up to the temple. And they lose him. Have to search for three days in order to find him. A couple of last things about Mary. <clears throat> Number 11 is that Mary... You know, obviously gets married to, to Joseph. <clears throat> There's a myth of Mary's perpetual virginity that Jesus is the only child that she's born. But according to the scriptures, Mary and Joseph marry and have other children. <clears throat> Read about them in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. We're given the names of the sons. She has four sons, or they have four sons. They're half brothers of the Lord. They're James, <clears throat> Joseph, and Simon, and Judas. And uh, they have a number of daughters. And uh, sadly, we don't know the names of the girls. There's four sons. And these men are significant. <clears throat> James, of course, is the, is the one who come. None of them recognize the glory of Christ until after the resurrection. But James comes to a living faith in Christ. He is the one who is there in Acts 15 at the first assembly of the church. He is the one who writes the book of James. It was the apostle James who was executed before he could carry out all of his ministry. But James, the half-brother of the Lord, child of Mary and Joseph, has a significant part in the early church. And lastly, Mary became a true disciple 
of her son, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> she witnesses the resurrection. Witnesses the crucifixion, rather. How could any mother stand to see her, her own son being put to death? Ian Huntley was around a number of years ago. He murdered those two little girls. And apparently his mother, his mother said, you know, that she believed that he should hang, he should die, he should be executed for the crimes that he committed. How it could enter into anybody, any mother's mind that their son should be put to death? We can't assume or believe or understand. And yet Mary <clears throat> is called to witness the execution of her son as the Lord Jesus Christ dies a vicarious death, uh, uh, an atoning death for the sins of the world on the cross. Mary could be referred to as a woman of sorrows. The sword now has pierced her soul. But it hasn't taken her away from God. The last picture we have of Mary in Scripture <clears throat> is in Acts chapter 1. In the upper room, the resurrection has taken place. The ascension has taken place. Now the Spirit is being poured out. <clears throat> and actually in Acts chapter 1, the disciples have come together. The men and the women. And only one of the women is mentioned, and that is Mary. She's there with an involvement in the church. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. Fully involved in what God is doing in the early church. <clears throat> and then, you know, God writes Mary out of the scene. Gone. None of the apostolic writings refer to Mary. Mary's never mentioned again in the New Testament. Everything revolves around her son, the Lord Jesus. He, of course, is our Savior and our Lord. <clears throat> One day when Jesus was teaching his disciples and a large crowd was there and the crowd was, was big and everybody couldn't get in and the message came to Jesus, look, your mother's outside. She wants to talk to you. And your brother's. At this time the brothers didn't believe and we don't know what state Mary was in but she was there with her family. She wanted to talk to Jesus. Remember this message that Jesus sent back? He said, you know, <clears throat> don't worry about my mother and my brothers wanting to see me. Anybody who does my will is my brother. And then he said that amazing thing, you know. <clears throat> Anyone who does my will is also my mother. You know, you're my mother, Jesus was basically saying, if you're involved in bringing spiritual life to birth in people where there was spiritual darkness. Jesus wasn't disrespecting his mother. He appreciated his mother, but he's putting her right in the position exactly where she should be. Like any other human being, given a work to do by God, any one of us, any one of us, one of the ladies in the world, Christian, godly women in the world, 
can have a ministry as effective and as glorifying to God as Mary had. People refer to her as the Queen of Heaven or a mediatrix between God and man. Nothing of this in the scripture. <clears throat> Lifting Mary up is unbiblical and even idolatrous. <clears throat> but the one great legacy that Mary does leave us with the doctrine of the virgin birth, without which there is no sinless Savior, no salvation. And because of Mary, you know, there's a whole, whole poem was written uh, a long time ago and talks about the man and the glory. There is a man and the glory. The Hebrews teaches us that there's a man and the glory. And that is resurrection. The body that Mary gave to him was resurrected. Uh, at his ascension, the body that Mary gave to the Son of God has ascended. Somehow, way beyond our understanding, that glorious body has been made glorious and is in heaven tonight. The wonderful glory is that as the Lord has gone on before, so he calls his children, calls you and me to follow him, so that we will be with him throughout all eternity. Let's sing our closing hymn. It's number 498. It's silent night. <clears throat>